Welcome to Shine Online with Ellie Swift. I'm your host, marketing and mindset coach, Ellie Swift, here to help you connect with your clients, create life-changing results in your online business, and shine neon bright online. I built a multi-six-figure business in under two years and, more importantly, have supported my clients to get amazing results. My clients have generated five- and six-figure launches, tripled their income, and completely transformed their lives using my signature framework, the Swift Marketing Method. In this podcast, I take you a layer deeper into my business, my life, and my mind. If you're an ambitious entrepreneur, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi there. Welcome back to another episode of Shine Online. I'm your host, Ellie Swift, and I have an incredible guest on the podcast today that I am so excited to introduce you to, my incredible friend and client, Sass Petherick. Sass is a master coach and the founder of the Self-Belief Coaching Academy. Sass hosts the Courage and Spice podcast, where she teaches evidence-based approaches and proven coaching tools to help you transcend your self-doubt. In doing so, SAS helps you move from understanding the root causes of your self-doubt to cultivating tangible, sustainable self-belief, self-acceptance, self-worth, and self-trust. SAS is truly one of the most incredible coaches I know and has been doing this work for over a decade now. She knows her stuff in a big way. I really wanted to have Sass on the podcast to talk about her business and specifically the transformation over these past 12 months, because I think there is so much that we can unpack here around mindset, marketing, and strategy that has led to really exceptional results that I hope are going to support so many of you listening. As a final note here, we speak to Sass's 100k launch in this episode, which was actually $110,000 USD. So I've changed the title to reflect these results. In the episode, you'll hear us refer to this as her 100k launch. Enjoy this episode. I really hope you love it and trust that you will as much as I loved recording it for you. To kick things off, you and I started working together at a time when you were really clear that you wanted to create some big shifts in your business. So can you take us through where you were at in your business and in your life at that time? I was at home, locked down in the UK. So I'm a Kiwi, but I've lived in the UK for 20 years. And we are still locked down as we are recording this, although hope is at hand, I spent most of last year actually recovering from a near-death experience. I know that sounds super dramatic, but at the end of 2018, my heart stopped working and I had to have emergency surgery and I had a near-death experience and 
it took me about a year to really process all of that. And it wasn't that pretty. I, I think it was quite tricky to kind of come back and be in the world. And as part of that process, my dear husband and I went through some real like difficult times of what is this even about? What are we doing? We're locked in the house together. There's nowhere to go. I was kind of shielding because I was high risk because of my heart. So I was suddenly dependent on him for everything. And it just brought all our crap right up to the surface. So we've been together for 13, 14 years and married for most of that time. He is my total partner in crime. And yet we just kept misfiring. We couldn't communicate. And we came really close to the edge of what does this even look like? He ended up going back to New Zealand for a month just so we could sort of see what was what. And it gave me this huge opportunity to really look at what am I here to do? What is this life thing about? And I realized that actually if I was going to go all in and milk the shit out of my existence, I would be showing up to my business very differently. And I can't even tell you, Ali, it was like one of those weird synchronistic moments where I just thought, I need a coat. I believe so much in this work, but I'm not very good at asking for help and I need help. And really quickly after that, you came into my radar. We've known each other for quite a while, but we've never worked together. And I just thought, oh, I think I need to work with Ali. And I knew you didn't take on clients. So I just sent you a cheeky email saying, do you want one though? (laughs) To this day, you're my only one-to-one client for the record. And I'm going to insert that in here because I know I'm going to get asked after this. I'm really sorry for mentioning that. No, not at all. We're not taking that out. (laughs) Yeah. So it was like the worst of times and the best of times. I was having probably the worst year personally, and it ended up being the best year in my business in 10 years. First of all, thank you for sharing that. There's parts of that that I know and parts of that that are really new to me. And I'm sure that that's probably a result of like a that time that you're speaking to was when we just started working together and we obviously dove so deeply into your business at that time. And you were obviously still in so much of that personally, right? And hearing you speak about that with the perspective or, you know, or having time in between now and then, I think I just feel really, really in awe and admiration of you because it makes me see that you had so much happening in your business and in your life. And obviously I was privy to everything that was going on in your business and I knew bits of what was happening in your life, but not that the full, full story. I just want to ask one more question about you having this near-death experience because we hear so often about people who essentially like go to the edges by having some sort of near-death experience or something that is so profound and life-changing that that it encourages them to go on this hugely different path. Like what was it about that experience that made you go, and I'm paraphrasing here because you didn't use these words, but like I'm playing small or this isn't how I want life to look. Like what had to shift for you to make such significant change? 
I love this question. No one's ever asked me this question. This is the heart of it, is literally, because it was my heart, but I came face to face with my greatest fear, which is to die young. My mum passed away at age 53 of the same condition that I have. And I've always thought that I was going to live a really short life. So I've spent most of my life packing a shit ton in and not really pausing very long. I was literally unable to move for three days because every time I moved, my heart rate would skyrocket and they didn't quite know how to treat it at the time. Everything is fine now, by the way. I just want to reassure anyone who who might be worried. But my greatest fear was of, of passing away really young and still having a ton of my song left in me. And I realized in that moment that oh, this is my greatest fear and it's happening right now. And I did not feel frightened. So it was like this weird somatic bodily experience of, it felt like I was dissolving. That's the only word I can use that kind of comes close to it. And I realized that it was incredibly peaceful, that I did not feel frightened at all. It felt easy. It's like, oh, it's just so easy. This is what's going to happen. This is what we all it happens to all of us. And I just thought afterwards, as I came back and everyone explained kind of what had happened, I was just so full of joy. Like, it's not frightening. Like this thing that I had built up in my mind as being the worst possible thing. Don't get me wrong. I was very clear that I did not want to go. But I was also very clear that it was okay to go. Like it was this very odd kind of cognitive dissonance, right? All of these conflicting things present at the very same time. And I felt completely at peace and detached from all of it. And this happened in a few seconds. Like it wasn't like a prolonged experience. But afterwards, I just felt like utterly changed by it. And I think coming face to face with my fear in that way, it was just like, like I just had a lot of regret and a lot of sadness about all the ways that I'd let myself be held back in my life because of fear, because of things that were just perceived rather than real. And some of it was real, like it started off real. You know, I learned very, I grew up in quite a chaotic family and I never really felt safe as a kid. I had to grow up really fast. And so there was a lot of just processing all of that, of you know, all of these things have led me to here and here is amazing. So I cannot now hold on to that. I have to just let it all go. It has to be okay that those things happened. And I no longer have to be fearful of them happening again because the worst thing that could happen has happened and I'm okay. What were the ways that you then realized you were playing small and weren't living the fullest expression of your life? What were they, especially in relation to your business? And what did you know needed to change? So I have been a coach for almost 10 years. I've played small by constantly feeling like I needed to know more and that I couldn't quite trust that I was okay as I was. And I think just realizing that actually... My clients don't need me to know more. They need me to be more present, which is something that I have worked on for 10 years in like supervision. And it's been like a huge, it's like a reoccurring theme. It's like a narrative thread in my story of being a coach. 
is that the only thing that's required is my presence. You know, all of the, the tools and the approaches are great, but without the presence, that can't happen. And I think I've been stuck in my mind because I'm I have a deep love of learning. I've been stuck in that process of, but I might need to know more. There might need to be something else. And alongside that, a kind of rejection of ever wanting it to be about the money, right? So I'm a working class gal, much like you, Ali. And um, and I've grown up really mistrusting anyone who has a lot of money. And I left the corporate world to become a coach where I was earning an extortionate amount of money, considering the value I contributed to the world. And that always felt a little uncomfortable for me. And so I was like, no, I'm going to do meaningful work. And in my mind, meaningful work meant don't make too much money. So I was in this weird place of just trying to protect myself from really stepping into my own mastery, stepping into my own, what I would call just abundance, like that willingness to see just how you can make this happen. Like what is possible here? And so when we started working together, I was just so sick of my own bullshit around that stuff. And it's no surprise to me, because I think the universe has a massive sense of humor, that I am a self-doubt coach, right? That's my body of work that I've built over the last 10 years. And in the very subtle and sophisticated way that self-doubt has, I was convinced myself that actually I was doing great. And by all external standards, I live a life of immense um, privilege and joy, without a doubt. And I'm so proud of the business that I've built over the last 10 years. And yet I know when I look at myself in the mirror that I was playing small. And I think that's the difference is that when we get super honest with ourselves, it kind of doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or how it looks to the outside world. Because we know deep down, we know if we are keeping ourselves safe by keeping ourselves small. I completely agree with you. And I think this is where it comes back to everyone being on such a different life path and life trajectory. And, you know, depending on your belief system, you know, soul calling or whatever it might be. And so as you're speaking, it's like, well, what playing small is for you might be very different for somebody else. And so the key is getting really, really clear and doing that in a work that supports you to differentiate, well, what for me actually is playing small and where am I in that space and how do I really need to step up? So what I would really love to do right now is I think it would be so useful for us to just share some of your business results from the last year and how your business has transformed, namely through the Self-Belief Academy being kind of the the key shift there. And I'd love for us to talk about that. And then we can almost go back to the how of that, because I think that delivering that punchline is going to really support people to understand then when we're talking about, you know, the mindset and the marketing and the strategy around it. It's like, boom, this is what happened. Now let's talk about how that actually happened. Can you please just, uh, you know, do the humble brag thing and take us through some of your results from the last 12 months? 
Okay, so this is the bit where I kind of slightly cringe, but also kind of go, no, we're, this is safe, and these are my sisters in business, and we all get this. So I've made around about six figures for the last eight years that, you know, I've been very, you know, sort of just over, just under, which has been phenomenal. I made that in a month last year, which has just blown my self-concept out of the water because it was so easy. And I know anyone listening who's going, I just want to switch her off. I totally understand. (laughs) And I'm on track to triple that this year, which just is amazing. And I'm so excited about it. I feel, I don't feel self-doubt about it. This is so huge. Like those are huge results. And so just stopping to honor that based on what you said just then about anyone hearing this might be like, oh my gosh, get her out of my ears. Like these are exceptional results and we are going to talk through the how of them. And I think it's really key what you said there around, you know, I have made six figures, you know, per year for the last eight years and then this seismic shift happened. And I think that that's really cool for two reasons. First of all, what you're getting is a business and a backing of somebody or or an example of someone who's been in business for a really long time and built a really solid foundation with which to jump up from essentially. And also you're hearing about somebody who has been in a business cycle where it's, you know, from a numbers perspective, been quite similar year on year. But then with some changes, there's been this exponential growth that's occurred. And I think that's really exciting for anyone who's been in business for some time to go, well, I know that I can scale and take this leap at any stage in my business. So I'm almost wanting to share, like if you're early in business, hearing about that foundational piece being a big part of this, if you've been in business for a number of years, knowing that now might be the time to scale. So I just wanted to mention that. Okay. So I I feel like there's so many directions I want to take this in. And I'm like, what are the questions I can ask so that I get everything out of you right now for our listeners? What I do want to start with though, is just, I do think that it's so fascinating how we're always getting served up the medicine essentially of what it is that we're teaching. And so I think this is really like a mindset self-doubt question of what from a mindset perspective, you mentioned money mindset, what from a mindset perspective or a self-doubt perspective, and please talk about it from either, did you have to navigate, move through, expand within to be able to create such a big leap in your business? So I have had for a really long time a belief that growth equals loss because that has always been my experience. When I grow, people in my life disappear. And it's usually, weirdly, other women in business who totally get this, but it's like that has just always happened and it has been a very special kind of grief that has contributed to this sort of ongoing narrative that if I get too big, I will be alone. And I think one of the things that we talked about a lot when we first started working together was that it is okay to grow. How can I create safety around that? Because there are no guarantees. There's no guarantee that A, I will grow just because I want to, but B, there isn't a guarantee that people won't leave. But can I be okay with that? 
And I think at the time I was so ready to just be done with all those old stories that had held me back that I just decided, you know what, I'm I'm going to do this differently. So one of the things that I did do was during the process of developing the offer that led to this really um, massive month and throughout the launch of it, I let my very small inner circle, it can fit in a phone box, there's just three of us, <laughs> but I let them in to what I was doing and I talked about the money and I talked about my fears and doubts and I let myself be really vulnerable and I explained to them, I don't want this to be a surprise to you because we all follow each other on social media and I want you to know the real story behind what you might see. And I also want you to know that I'm really like a bit scared about doing this because I don't want you to leave. And it was just like this amazing experience of finally at the age of almost 50, I have these friends that are really soul friends and that have done their own work and can hold whatever I bring. So they will genuinely love me at my best and my worst and at the time I was like I could be single in five minutes I have no idea my whole life is imploding and I'm trying to do this thing and they could hold all of it so I would say to anyone who has a similar kind of story find other people that are healers and spend a shit ton of time with them and be vulnerable with them let them surprise you because they really, my two closest friends just buoyed me the whole time. And having you in my corner as well, Elliot, was just like, I had these safe private spaces where I could take all my crap to and all the good stuff. Cause sometimes it's harder to share the good stuff and it was all held. And that just helped me feel safe enough to take the next step. Such a great thing to share because it's something that when we're talking about earning a significant amount of money, we don't really talk so much about the loneliness that can come with that, especially if it happens quickly, which it does for so many people in the online space. The reality is, is that it can feel very lonely because there's not necessarily that many people to turn to in your life, as you say. And we can be really like disenchanted if we're wanting to share it with everyone in our life because they can't necessarily hold us. And so I love that recommendation around selecting the people that you trust and you want to be close to you and knowing that the receivership is in you first asking and then allowing them to show up for you. And if they don't, that's that's almost not your problem. Like you've done everything you can to show up vulnerably as you and put yourself out there and request that they're holding that space for you. And I just think that that's so, so key to be able to do that with some people in your life that you feel safe with rather than feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm telling everyone about this and no one's holding me. It, it almost gets to be more of this exclusive private thing that you share with just those key people that you know can hold it. Well, and it's like anything, right? I mean, I think, you know, anything that we are going through, it, not, we don't know anybody our story. Our lives are not like crowdsourced content. We don't have to share anything that's going on. 
And I think that has been, you know, one of the greatest lessons I've learned, having really just grown up. Like I was an old school blogger back in 2005 on LiveJournal. So I've sort of watched, you know, what it's like to be publicly sharing your life. That's been a huge part of my adult life. And I think that one of the early lessons that I really learned was you don't have to share anything that you haven't already processed or come to terms with. And I think that particularly for coaches out there, you can kind of smell it. Like when you see the Instagram post that's a bit vulnerable, but actually what they're really saying is, can everyone please reassure me that I'm okay? Yeah. And I think that just always feels a little crunchy and icky. Oh, yeah. But there's a difference between that and someone who has just gone through it, processed it, made peace with it, is okay about it, and then can share it from a place of, I hope this is helpful to you. I hope my experience, I imagine it's universal because it always is. I hope this is helpful to you rather than I need something from you. Yes. I much prefer any type of content that I'm seeing and reading being from somebody who has processed or been through the experience first. And I know that people do, some people say I really like sharing while I'm in it, but I think that there's a difference between sharing when you're in it and acknowledging that you're still in it and therefore that being the empowered place or sharing while you're still in it because you want to be held in some way. Like you say, you can feel that difference in energy. So you mentioned earlier, you touched on money mindset, and I'd love to just go back to that for a moment. Let's talk about expansion and abundance and really coming from this near-death experience to more abundance than you'd ever held before. How did you handle that? Like, How did you handle that level of abundance coming into your life so quickly? And what did you have to shift to be able to hold that? So one of the things that I did, and you posted about this ages ago, and I thought, oh, that's a really smart way to do things. And it was to that your morning routine was generally about checking in with your team, checking in with your clients, checking in with the cash. And I started doing that. I, I started like really just allowing myself to witness and receive all the money that was coming in. So I would just log on to my Stripe account, watch it happen. I'd write the name of whoever had joined the academy up on a board that I could see all the time. I'd share it like with my partner and with my pals and and allow it to kind of be an exciting thing. And I'd also be really, really interested in any sense of wanting to ignore it or hide from it or give it away. Like I'm pretty good at like spaffing it all against a wall. (laughs) So... So there was the temptation to do that. And actually it was really interesting because I said to Ash, my partner, like, can we buy something fun? Like, can we just do one fun thing with this cash? And so we bought like new furniture for our living room, which is amazing. New sofas and we get to like play with that every day. It's really fun. But part of that was about, you know, just getting into what it means to really receive and to do it from a place that's quite clean. Like getting there was probably my biggest sort of hurdle it was quite challenging to just sit in all of that abundance and let it be in my bank account and not do anything with it and not try to explain it away or 
make excuses or apologize in any way. Like I could feel myself wanting to do all those things. And so really, I just let my, I made myself for two months after the launch, just not do a bloody thing. Just let it be there and get used to what it means to receive. And it was really interesting because what I found was at the start of that process, I made that money mean a whole lot of things like I matter, my work matters, you know, I've made it this is amazing. Oh my God, this won't last. The next time I sell this out, it won't happen. Like I had a whole lot of stories around it. And now I've just got to the space of, I sort of feel like the money just represents the value of the work and what that means to the coaches that I get to work with. And that's just allowed me to sort of rest in it a bit. It's meant that I've been really comfortable, much more comfortable than I thought I would be to really recognize the value and raise the price this time and feel okay about that. Like it's like, oh no, I'm just calibrating this. When I started this, I wasn't really ready to own the value and now I am. And so there's just been this like recalibration, I think, of my own self-concept and getting really detached from this being personal. People don't really care who's teaching it. I mean, they do, but they don't. (laughs) So it's really, it's about the value of what this means for the client. And my clients right now are coaches. So, you know, really recognizing that, that if this feels right for them, they'll, they'll jump on board. It's really interesting how, like there's the conversation around I'm raising my prices because I'm worth more or I'm deserving of this. And I just think that kind of language is just such BS because exactly what you said just now, like money doesn't mean anything about us personally. You know, I I remember once having a conversation with a friend and saying, I don't think anyone's more awesome if they're earning more money. You know, like we're not having a conversation right now being like, Sass is more awesome because more awesomer (laughs) because she, uh, you know, this 100K in a month. Like that's not the conversation in any way. And I think that what you said before is so true around I can hold this and receive this and not make it mean anything about me and not create any stories around it being correlated to my worth or, you know, any of those things. And I think that that's just so, so important and such a big part of CEO mindset is being able to accept that money, receive it, hold it, do what is to be done with it and not, and know that it doesn't mean anything about you or your business, whether it's going the way you want it to or not, you know? Well, and I guess that's the thing, like intellectually, I know that. I'm quite interested to witness my own experience this time around because I can kind of, see that all those stories are probably going to come back up again but I now have a different perspective on them and I can kind of you know hold myself with some compassion around that like oh okay here's some here's some psychological risk showing itself you know which is really the basis of my work I think I've been able to kind of make myself feel a little bit less subjective around the money stuff so I can just really go oh look at that that's my self-doubt coming up to warn me that I'm about to put myself in the path of some kind of risk it's so natural for me to want to hold back in some way and just to be really compassionate with myself and allow myself to feel that vulnerability and it doesn't have to hold me back it doesn't have to stop me it just it might be about pausing or you know 
taking care of myself for a moment. And it might actually be about saying, come on, you can do this. Let's let's just crack on. Who knows what will happen? There are no guarantees, right? The thing I love about what you said there is that the knowledge, and obviously because you are a self-doubt and self-belief expert, you know this so deeply to your core, like the knowledge that those stories will come up again. And I find this so much with clients and I'm sure you do too, that we almost think we've processed and moved through something. And then it's like, that's done. Let's store that into a box with a neat little bow, pack it into the back of the closet because I've dealt with it and I never, ever have to deal with it again. But actually what I find, and I'd love to know if you find this as well, is that it's that same stuff that comes up at every single up level. But the the value in us having processed it is that we can recognize that it's there again and we know how to move through it quickly and, and not attach to it. I think we have this image and it's probably understandable that we would have an image of, you know, processing stuff and growth and our own development is it's like a step ladder and you just keep climbing and it's linear. And once you've moved past that step, you never have to go up the step again because you're already past it. But I like to think of it and my experience of self-doubt is more like a labyrinth. You know, when you walk a labyrinth, you literally just put one foot in front of the other. It's not trying, it's not like a maze where it's trying to trick you. With a labyrinth, you just walk one step in front of the other. But the experience of doing that very simple thing is incredibly disorienting. And you will often feel like you're going over the same old ground or other people that have walked it with you are suddenly ahead and they were behind. And what does that mean about you? So I think just witnessing yourself as you go through these repeated stories, these narratives that have been, you know, inculcated often since childhood about what is safe for you. And what is at risk for you if you do something different? So I fully expect that for the next 10 or 20 years of my business, hopefully I won't be working that long, I will still experience all of this stuff. And I think the thing that I say to my clients and the coaches I work with all the time is that just because this is happening, it doesn't mean anything's gone wrong. Your self-doubt is here just to try and protect you from some perceived risk. So the more that you can step back from those stories and witness them and allow them to be there, but come at them from a different place, because you're always in a different place in the labyrinth. What has that walk already taught you about what you can do, about what's possible for you? Amen to that. I couldn't agree more. Something else you spoke about before is receiving. And I just really wanted to just add to that for the listeners that this receive it, this concept of receiving is so big for us as women, as coaches, as healers, as anyone in any kind of industry where we're doing a lot of giving. And so, you know, the art of receiving really is an art and it's something that we need to practice so much because when we get really good at receiving, that's when so much comes our way, not just people holding and supporting us, but also you know, things that are, that we might not have even realized were co-creations such as having, experiencing this, you know, really big amount of abundance in our businesses. So I love that you spoke to that because I really see that for so many of us who are, you know, recovering control freaks, and I'm putting my hand up right now as I say this, that we, we need to get really good at receiving. And it's hilarious because receiving is something that allows things to be more effortless and more easeful. And yet, we attach to 
having to overgive and that being the only way that we can receive. But in fact, the opposite is true. When we allow receivership, that's when we attract more of it. Honestly, Ellie, that's probably been one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from our work together. Because you've been on at me since I think our second call. You probably need some help in your business. Right. Like when we talked about like, what do you, so what do you do? Like, what do you, what does your week look like? And what are you doing? And it was basically like, look, Ali, I do all the things. I do all the things. Like I edit my podcast. I create all my social media content. I schedule everything. I have a virtual assistant, hardly ever use her. I don't like asking for help. I feel like people will do it wrong. So arrogant, right? People will do it wrong. So it's just easier for me to do it than to explain to someone else. And you've been saying, look, if you're going to step into this expanded business, it means that your business has to expand. It means that you can't do everything. You have to ask for help. And I have been resisting this because so I'm like, much. Yeah, so we're bloody much. Mode. We're just in launch mode, right? I can do that. So with great and a full heart, I have now got two team members on board <laughs> and I can I am laughing so hard at my past self, my six months ago self, bless her for thinking she could do everything. Now I'm just like, what was I doing? Part of that receiving for me has been about receiving assistance and help and allowing that to be messy and knowing that it it's a different kind of hard, right? It's a different kind of challenge. When you're doing everything, the challenge is basically managing your energy and trying not to burn out, which is a shitty way to work hard, right? But when you've got team members, it's about, you know, not trying to outsource problems, being the leader that comes up with the problems and then gives the solution to someone who has that expertise. Like that has been just huge. And look, I used to run really big teams when I was a management consultant in the city back in the day in my little Ally McBeal suits for any Gen Xs listening. Um, you know, I used to run teams all the time. I know how to do this, but it has been so fun to bring a team on board, start building out a team. And as my business grows and we, you and I are in the process of bringing to life a sort of two-year strategy, I'm going to be bringing in many more people. And um, that now, f- at the start, that felt incredibly complex and tricky and difficult and frightening and like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And now I'm just like, oh, who do we bring on next? Like, because we have that capacity now, like the the money is there. The the structure and the strategy is there. This all supports it. It's not random fill a fill a gap. It is thoughtful and um, considered. And it's it's like oh my goodness, I can remember back in my very first like you and I have had such a funny little parallel trajectory. But in my um, late twenties, I was put on the fast track to leadership in a IT company called Unisys. I don't even know if it's still going, but um, I remember going to like this big leadership thing and it was all like bring the grads in and the, you know, the the fast track to management kind of folks in. So we're all really young and hungry, deeply annoying. And, and they brought in all the pale, stale males who were running the thing, who, you know, expelled their wisdom. And I just think now, oh my God, just even being in that room makes me come out in hives. But um 
so much of that for me was like, show me, like, how how can I be inspired? I loved that movie Working Girl with Tess McGill, 80s movie about, you know, women's empowerment in the workplace. And I was like, I want to work for Trask Radio. I want to come up with the amazing project thing. And I've I spent 20 years looking for that inspiration, looking to be inspired by other people. And now I'm like, oh my goodness, I get to build that out for myself. I get to create this on my terms, which is so thoughtful and kind and compassionate and built on the values of my work and the foundation of my work. And it it is just so exciting to me that in allowing myself to receive in not playing small anymore, I actually get to create something that I never even dreamed was possible. You know, I, I see this all the time with really powerhouse women like yourself, where we go, well, how can I possibly outsource these things? Because it sounds hard thinking about it and like handing things over and doing all of that sounds really challenging. But when we're in that powerhouse CEO energy, we're attracting people into our team that are also at that energy of their profession, whether it be, you know, the OBM or the designer or whoever we choose to bring on. And we then have, it's like this team is the word of humans who are all absolute bosses and absolute pros at what they do. And so the energy dynamic is not even one of employer, employee, or like CEO, subcontractor, but rather just, wow, I'm working with other people who are genuinely better at those tasks than I am. And I really, really like them and I really, really respect them. And we're all in this, you know, similar type of energy as bosses at what we're doing. And I think that when you can start creating that structure, which you have done so beautifully, um, having met, you know, your new business manager and just seeing the way that you lead with just such power, you've done that so beautifully and you've really received that in such a huge way. And I think that it's such a testament to seeing how quickly that can shift. It's like, you might be feeling those feels, but you literally can move through the mindset stuff around not wanting to receive support quickly, hire those people. And, you know, in a couple of months time, you could be chilling on your couch going, wow, I have 50% less work to do in my business because that's kind of what happened to you. It's exactly what's happened. Exactly what's happened. And I think that's the thing that is so interesting to me because my approach to coaching, like my coaching kind of uh, background or the foundation of my work is in rooted in developmental psychology. And in developmental psychology, we have this theory that as adults, we keep growing and developing. And it's not just that, you know, we have experiences and then we grow a bit. We actually fundamentally go through quite distinct stages where we start to see ourselves in the world quite differently. And I feel like I'm coming to the next stage because of the experiences personally and professionally that I've just kind of thrown myself into and really learned to surrender to. Like, this is happening. So can I be on board with it? And I think just allowing myself to surrender to what's happening, letting myself feel guided to do the next step and trusting myself that it will be imperfect and messy and human and it will be okay. 
And I think it's so interesting to me now as I'm spending so much of my time with these amazing coaches that I get to work with in the Self-Belief Coaching Academy is so many of them are coming up against the same kinds of, you know, mindset challenges and beliefs and, you know, is it okay, all of that stuff. And it's like, oh, I'm so amazed and proud when they say, oh my God, so we did this in our practice pod, we did this tool or, you know, whatever we've been learning in the academy. And it it's like, oh my God, I can totally see how this will work for my clients, but I'm changing because I'm practicing using this tool. So for me, the joy of this work is that not only do we as coaches get to support our clients to change their self-doubt and transform that and really allow our clients to become the people they were always meant to be. But as coaches, we get to fundamentally shift how we see the world and ourselves and our own capacity and capability. And that for me was, it's been a real kind of source of unexpected magic in this whole journey is I now feel like I'm surrounding myself with a community of coaches. And I mean that in the greatest sense, like we're taking care of each other and and it feels very supportive and nurturing. And we call each other out on our own bullshit, you know, like there is that that sort of feeling. And it feels very exciting to me because one of the things that I've really experienced throughout my career as a self-employed coach is loneliness, like really not quite finding the right folks that I clicked with, no matter what the training was that I involved in. And I know a lot of us stay in tight contact with the people that we train with because it's such a transformative experience. But I never, there's been one or two people, but I never felt like I've found my people. And now I feel like the beauty of this experience is that I'm getting filled up and receiving so much from the experience and the coaches that I get to work with are reporting the same. So it just feels like this lovely giving, receiving Mobius loop that I hope is a kind of infinity loop. Yeah. It's 100% an infinity loop and I love that it's become a theme across everything. So let's talk a little bit about the strategy of you creating the Self-Belief Coaching Academy because I was actually just talking about this in a a coaching call that I have with some of my masterminders where we can kind of really big up big up something new that we're creating some a new offer and you created a coaching academy and I did not big it up to start with (laughs) I was like Ellie we're not doing this publicly (laughs) But, but that was a really great thing. And when I say big it up, I, I guess I mean in terms of the creation of the product and the marketing of it, right? So let's talk about maybe the marketing in a moment. I want to talk about the strategy first of creating a self, the Self-Belief Coaching Academy. Like what was the strategy behind doing that? And what, yeah, what was that strategy piece of going, this is where the business is moving towards this is my business now. This is the product that I'm creating. What did that look like? Well, it looked like me hiring you and you saying, you do realize that you've created a body of work that has value. And me saying, I've secretly always wanted to teach this, but I don't quite think I'm ready. And you saying, well, that's bullshit. Let's look (laughs) at how we could do this. Why did you (laughs) hire me then? If I remember correctly, that's kind of how it all shook down. I'm paraphrasing. But I think what is genuinely true is that you helped me see 
that the thing that I thought was perhaps five years in the future was entirely possible right now. I just needed to change how I was seeing it. And I think the thing that I really loved about this process of working with you was that it was very much about, let's try it and see, because we won't ever know until we do. So we literally like sent out an email. I have an email list of coaches that I'm connected to because I've spent, you know, the last five years or so doing various bits of work and offers for coaches. So I had a, a list of coaches that I could email and just say, hey, I'm People have asked me for this and they genuinely have asked me for, but how do you do this? Or how do you work with someone who is experiencing this kind of self-doubt? And I've never quite felt ready to, you know, create something that was about a methodology. So I emailed these coaches and I said, look, people have been asking about this for, for a while now. And so I'm thinking about doing it. And if you're interested, can you join this, this list, the special small list? This is what I'm thinking. This is, you know, a bit of background about me. It was just genuinely testing the water. And I had like a hundred coaches sign up to that list. I remember emailing you and going, 25 people said that they were interested. And you were like, well, that's a thing. So as soon as those first kind of folks started joining I, that list, I was like, oh, this is a pool of people who believe in me already, who are probably watching me and have watched me for a while, or we've trained together or they know me in some way. And it was like permission to play. Like, let's just see. And I spent about six weeks really sketching out, like, what could this look like? You know, what are the core themes of this work? And it was really fascinating because you said to me, you've already created this academy. You just don't know it yet. Like it's in it's in pieces in your work that you've already created. And that has absolutely proven to be true. Once more, it's quite annoying when an Australian is right. I just have to say, <laughs> as a New Zealander, I'm like, man. But what has been so great is, you know, really thinking about how would I like to learn this? What would be like the building blocks of this work and structuring the program so that it's like a journey through the process. And it's the kind of the journey our clients go on as well. So we have like these modules, there's 10 modules in the program. And I was very clear that I didn't want to work with newbies who had never done any kind of coaching before. And That has been really great, like just really honoring that I can't teach 101 coaching stuff because that's just not my wheelhouse. And there are so many amazing people who do that so well, Biker being one. And I know you're connected with Julie's um, Academy and that is just premium. So for me, it was like, I'm not interested in kind of getting in that pool. That doesn't feel like the place I want to swim. But working with already qualified coaches or therapists or counselors or mentors, people who are working with folks and their clients are experiencing self-doubt and they want specialist tools to help them. That's who I want to play with. And I think making some of those decisions, like you really encouraged me to, the strategy can only work if it works for you. So getting really clear about who did I want to work with and what was that going to look like really helped me to form this thing and it happened quite quickly like the structure came about quite quickly and then it was just a matter of you know adding meat to the bones and so now I've got you know I've written 
well over 300 pages of content in the last six months I've recorded hours of videos lessons you know and there is like all the kind of like in-person stuff as well so it feels like there is now like a complete body of work that I've created that I'm gonna you know tweak and you know reimagine for the next round and it will just keep getting better but this first round was always going to be the big experiment I'm just so grateful that I just went Okay, I'm just going to put my faith in your faith in me. <laughs> oh, I am beyond grateful that you did that. And I think the the epic lesson that I want to extract there from what you just shared is that experimentation and that play because so often we put so much pressure on things in business and you could have easily gone, I've been in business for, you know, the last decade I've run a model that has worked, you know, it's not broken in any way. Do I really want to do this? This Australian woman's coming in. Yes, I hired her, but she's telling me to to start this new thing that I've been dreaming of right now. And I thought I had more time. Once again, I'm paraphrasing. But you looked at it through the lens of play. And you can imagine if you didn't, the pressure you would be putting on yourself and on that program and nothing in our business thrives under pressure. Nothing in our life thrives under pressure. I talk about it as like being a stage five clinger to anything. If you're a stage five clinger to anything, that person, that business is going to run the other way. And so by trusting that nothing can go wrong, like the worst case scenario would have been it didn't work you're, you know, you would have lost three months of your life and the investment in me, that would have been the worst thing that could have happened in your business at that time. And so really, when you start thinking about like, what's the worst thing that can happen here? And what happens if I don't attach everything to this one launch or this one new program or whatever else? And the other thing is, if it hadn't been quote unquote, as successful as it had been that first time, having the ability to then go, all right, that doesn't mean this is broken. That just means we need to play and tweak things. And I see that happen a lot as well, where someone launches something for the first time, they don't necessarily get the results they wanted, but we can articulate why. And then they go on to have huge, you know, second, third, fourth success. Like that is so key. And I think is the difference between somebody who's committed to having a sustainable business and somebody who is not necessarily um, honoring or acknowledging the longevity of business and the distance that they want to travel, but getting too focused on, you know, the what's in front of them in that moment. That's one of the things that I've really found is that we tell ourselves these rubbish stories about how successful people got successful as if they've never failed. And failure is part of success. Like there were so many things that I did in the first launch that I think, oh, I didn't need to do that or that didn't get me the result I wanted or, oh, I was too attached there or whatever. And there was other things that I think, yeah, I totally remember how I felt when I wrote that email and I need to get back in that energy because that was the one that really helped people. So I think there's something about allowing ourselves to let go of any notion of perfectionism as being a good thing. Like we need to bin perfectionism and embrace failure. And that would actually, I think, change how we show up to our businesses so, so much because our clients don't expect that, right? Our clients don't expect us to be perfect. They don't even know what that looks like. It doesn't exist, really. So I think there's something about 
play, experimentation. This is something that I teach in my work as well around self-doubt. Like do the smallest, most doable step. Experiment, see what happens. See if this crazy thought that you're having about what will happen is actually true. Or is it just old? Is it something that you've inherited from someone else? And is it just just really distorted and unhelpful? So part of this whole process was really about living my own work, which was deeply annoying a lot of the time because I was like, man, I know this. I know what to do here. I just don't want to because it feels vulnerable. I know you and I so many times have talked about, um, because obviously I speak to mindset and you speak to self-belief and we've we've just had so many beautiful conversations that I've just enjoyed so much around recognizing how those those concepts marry together so beautifully and in so many ways have similarities and it's true you know I agree that there's moments when you're being coached around something and you're like I freaking teach this every day we need each other like I don't I don't know there's this kind of reluctance from from some of us totally where I was to ask for help as if somehow that means we're not doing it right and actually I think we need more help I had more help last year and to date than I have ever had. I've worked with a therapist. I worked with you. I, you know, brought on two team members, asked for help in different ways from other people in my life, and it just gets easier the more you do it. Yeah, it absolutely does. Okay, so I want to finish up briefly by talking about the marketing because I I reckon many people listening and I always knew this was going to be a slightly longer conversation and I'm not mad about any of it. And so any of you that are listening and you're like, stop rabbiting on, (laughs) we're we're, we're getting there, I promise, uh, closer to the end. But I, I hope that for those of you that are listening that this is really useful and I really wanted to be able to have this conversation with us to break down each of these parts. And I'd really encourage you to come back to this and take notes because it really is these concepts that we've spoken about that have created this exponential growth in such a short space of time. And there's so much that can be learned from, from this incredible woman in front of me. Let's just talk about the marketing because I reckon there are quite a few people listening going, well, what did you actually do? Like, can you please explain this launch that generated those results? And it's not an accident that we're talking about the marketing last and potentially for the least amount of time because mindset and self-belief, they were the seismic shifts, right? And so, yeah, tell us about the marketing. What did that look like? So I've always had a very problematic relationship with marketing. I've always found it to be just difficult to kind of phrase the value of the work in a way that in a, in a few different ways <laughs> and keep marketing right doing it consistently I've always found kind of tricky because I just think oh my god it's just me banging on about self-doubt <laughs> but what I found was that having made some of those real shifts the marketing was actually quite easy And it was easy because as soon as I became clear about the strategy and who I needed to show up as to make that strategy real and how, you know, completely like full heart I did that with such a full heart. It was like, this is the business I want. So for me, the marketing was much more about, oh my God, you guys, I've made this awesome thing. I so believe in it. It's totally proven. And I totally want you to share in it. And it was really 
saying that a hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. It reminded me so much of internet dating. You know the stage five clingers in internet dating who are like, I'm totally easygoing, low maintenance. I will, you know, and then someone just tells the truth and you're like, oh my God, I totally love her. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Great analogy. right. Like I just, I was like, I'm just going to be real because if you want to work with me and this, I see this as a long-term relationship because the coaches that I certify, I then want to employ some of them to work in the self-belief school because I want to keep working with muggles. So um, for me, it's like a long-term deal. I want to train people, certify them, then employ them and pay them. So it was like important to me that folks got that vision and also get me. And so if they want someone who is going to be super hard-nosed, solution-focused, that's not the kind of coaching I do. If they want someone who's totally like law of attraction and tarot cards, that's not the coaching I try to do. You know, I'm very much like, look, I've trained, I've got a master's degree, this is evidence-based. So all of that logic was really important. But then there's also a part of me that's like, look, self-doubt is freaking awesome. When you actually work out what it is and understand it and you liberate yourself from all the bullshit that it provides in your life, you can be whoever you want to be. And for me, it's like that greater mission of, I want the world filled with people who have self-belief that is grounded and kind and full of like compassion for others. So it's it was very much about sharing those messages. And you and I worked on like, what is, what is it we want to say? So we did really practical things like start off with, here's the logical reason to buy. And then the emails that were towards the end of the cart open period were, here's the emotional reason to buy. Because like you said, that's just consumer behavior. So it was super helpful to know that. But also we did things like, let's just share fun stuff. Like what's the greatest thing about doing this work? What's going to be so awesome about, you know, having a practice pod of two other coaches to work with, practice all this stuff in your, as well as time with me. I'm very hands-on. I'm an overgiver. So um, people get a lot of time with me during this period and we get to know each other. The classes are small so that, you know, everyone gets to know each other. It's, it is a genuine, I'm not here just for, you know, the fame and glory of it because there isn't any. It's very much about who are we going to become on this journey of learning this work. And I just trusted that the right coaches would really value those things too and want to be part of that so all of our marketing messages was about telling the truth about who I am what the program was going to do and what it wasn't going to do who it was for what they could expect in terms of the value that they would create and what they would walk away with and it just meant that the marketing was very much I'm so excited to share this and if this speaks to you get on in it this could be the beginning of something long-term and rich and deep and I want you on my train. So it was so open-hearted and so many of the coaches that purchased this, like we sold out 50% of the places in four days after two or three emails. And that was like mega to me. I was just like, what is happening? (laughs) Like what even is going on right now? And then it's, you know, it's, we went through that like usual period of dribbly sort of sales every now and then, and then another little boost at the end. And it was like, oh, okay, cool. This is, this is great. This, nothing has gone wrong, 
right through the whole thing. Nothing has gone wrong. This is what happens. So understanding, I think, just the the patterns of consumer behavior and, and you having that expertise was super helpful for me to really check in with myself the whole time because launching can be a bit of an emo- emotional roller coaster. But I think because I was in that place of this is so fun and it's going to be such a great program, I just really want you to be part of it. It meant that every time I was marketing and I sent out, I think about 10 emails, 10 or 12 emails over a month. Like I, it wasn't like I was in people's inboxes every day because I don't want to annoy anyone. (laughs) So honestly, that was my strategy was send out, you know, an email every three days or so talking about all the different ways that this was ace. And also, you know, some of that was really proven stuff. It included numbers and some of it was just really about, look, you're just going to know if this is right for you or not. And I trust you because you're smart. So you'll figure this out. And I, and it was so great because every time someone said, oh, can I have a chat with you about the program? I was so unattached to them joining. I was like, if this isn't right for you now, maybe it will be next time around. It's not really about the marketing is what I've learned. It's not really about what we do in terms of a marketing strategy. It's about the energy that we get in while we're doing it. It's about what we say. But also it's really about how we say it. Like, just let yourself shine through it. Like, don't try to put on, I know I've done this in the past where I've tried to be, I don't know, put on some kind of voice that I thought the client wanted me to have, which is plays totally into my, like my people-pleasing ways, right? I'll be the person you want me to be. But actually, I think what this experience has really taught me is that I just need to be my you know, best and brighter self. And that's that's going to attract the right people. Great marketing is really about sharing what is in existence, like what is there. So if you have, like you had an exceptional product, you know, a credible human who is head coach, facilitator, CEO, the person spearheading the captain of the entire thing, If you've got all of that, plus you have crafted this program in such a way where you knew that it was specifically for your people, if the substance is there, then the marketing is absolutely easeful because, and you're so right, this is where people can often go wrong because they view marketing as something that's its own silo thing where it's like, okay, so I've created this product over here and then I need to come over to the other side. If you can see me right now, I've got, you know, product over on the left and marketing over on the right. And now I have to think of all the really fancy words and ways in which I can share this thing. But actually it's about enhancement of what is. It's an extension of what already exists. And when you're passionate about it, you're you're energetic, you're excited, you're engaged with what it is that you're creating. It is so easeful because you're in the energy of that and people feel that so much. And just a second thing I wanted to say, just for anyone wondering if you're diving deep into why we chose, you know, that email marketing strategy, SAS, you had built a really incredible list over the last of thousands of humans over the last decade. And from doing that initial email, we basically had a conversation where it was like, from that first email, that's going to dictate our strategy. Remember that? It was like, well, and it was never like if the email's successful or not. It was just like, let's just see what happens with this email. And 
because that was successful and and we saw such uptake from that one email, it was like, okay, we can actually really focus this first launch on being about that warm audience that's already there. And we don't have to do all these things, which are potentially going to be energy zaps and bells and whistles when you were very clear, I only want X amount of humans in this first round so that I can really hone and refine the product and make sure that it's right. And like you say, take on the right coaches that you can then work with again. That was why we really went all in on that email marketing strategy and it worked really, really well. Yeah. And and it's been really interesting because that list has just grown over the, the six months as I've just casually been mentioning what I'm doing you know, during social media, I mean, Instagram stories is my favorite place to hang out and just share stuff. That has been a place where I've just grown my, um, my coach's interest list. And as we go into the second uh, round of the program, that list is now, you know, 250 people. So, so of the thousands on the bigger list, you know, only a few want to be told about this program and I'm all about only sending stuff to people who've asked for it so we created a sub list and then in this year we'll do this round of the program we'll do some some cold audience building as well but I'm like super if I just do the same as I did last time I will be chuffed to pieces absolutely is there anything that we haven't talked about in relation to that launch or that season of business growth that you think is really worth sharing? I think just that one of the things that I've really learned mostly from our work together and just, I guess, just doing this for a long time is that the launch period itself is the culmination of all the conversations that you've been having over the year. Like if you only do one launch a year, it's not like that's it, right? Like, nurturing that relationship so that people already kind of know you they trust you there is a sense of oh I kind of know what she's about then when you say hey I made this thing do you want do you want to get in on it it's a much easier decision for people they don't have to then wrestle with who is this person and what's going on so I think you're always marketing every time you share something about yourself you're always marketing and that that's been something that I've just kind of gone oh then it all counts, right? There's a purpose for me to regularly show up on social media to share my work and what I believe to be true about the coaches that I want to work with and the clients that I I want us to serve. Like all of that really counts. And it's just helped me to put everything into that place of it all has a purpose in my business. I think for a long time when I was first starting out, it sort of felt like, I need to grow my following, but I wasn't really sure what the hell I was doing it for. (laughs) Like I didn't know what that meant. And it's taken a really long time to kind of grow a list of people that are interested in my work. And I think that that doesn't necessarily mean anything about the sales, right? Like I I can remember having like a hundred people on my list and 20 of them bought my very first program, which was 200 pounds. (laughs) And I thought that was amazing in my first year of coaching. So I've learned from from day dot that actually it doesn't matter how many people are on your list. It matters how you interact with them, how you treat them, the relationship you grow with them. I just know that when I was starting out 
that always baffled me, like this whole grow your list, grow your following thing. Never really understood why that mattered so much. And I still don't believe it's the be all and end all, but I can say that it does help, right? Like it really helps to have that. The size of the list is just the math of of more sales potential. I couldn't agree more. Can you please now just share with us a little bit more about Self-Belief Coaching Academy? And I think it's been so beautiful that you've woven it in. I just would love you to share for anyone who's listening, who is like, okay, this sounds really cool. Is this something that's potentially for me? Can you just give a bit of an overview on who it potentially is for? Sure. I'm so happy to. So this is for existing coaches. So coaches who are already just working with clients or you've done an introductory coaching program. And this is really designed as a, we call it a direct path to coaching mastery. So I want to empower the coaches with really proven original tools, evidence-based approaches. And it's all about helping your clients make sense of and heal their help, their self-doubt, but also to begin to develop really robust self-belief. And the cool thing that happens in this work is that as we are learning it, we go through this process of triple loop learning. That's one of the kind of approaches that we use in the program. And triple loop learning means that you're not just learning the content that you can share with clients you are interacting with it and seeing how it can be tailored and adapted for your particular clients. But the triple part of it is that you allow yourself to be changed by it. So you as a coach, if you have self-doubt in your business, in your coaching, and crikey, I'm 10 years into this and that still happens, then this is going to arm you with specific tools and approaches to be able to show up in your work and in your business in a really deep and rich way. And the whole program is, it's trauma-informed. That's part of my training and my belief. We don't work with trauma, but we know how to recognize it and how to work with it within the boundaries of coaching. And we're also very much about the evidence basis of, of these tools. So most of the tools I've developed myself um, and about half of them have been adapted from existing research out there in the world. So my um, master's dissertation was about the experience of self-doubt. So I spent two years like looking at all the literature and research and, and approaches to this work. This is basically, instead of having to do a graduate degree, you can just come and hang out with me for six months and, and these awesome coaches and really just skill yourself up. So it, it feels like the best thing I've ever created. It's exceptional. The thing I, I I just believe so deeply in this program, as you know, and the thing that I love most about it is that as a marketer, I see how how many people are coming into the coaching space. And I'm really excited by that. I think it's wonderful. And I never, ever, you know, want to be somebody who speaks ill of our industry because I don't think that ever serves anyone. But what I do think that it means is that it, it creates an opportunity for those people who believe and are focused on the art and the science of coaching and care deeply about coaching first and foremost, which I can personally say hand on heart as a coach myself that 
There is nothing that gets you clients faster and builds your business faster than being exceptional at what you do. And this program helps you become exceptional. It helps you become that master. It helps you become better than 99% of other coaches out there teaching because you have these incredible trauma-informed, evidence-based, amazing skills and teachings that you will pack into your arsenal for life. So I just um, believe in it so much and I just think that it's incredible and uh, yeah, go and check out Sass's work. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at sasspetherick.com and I mostly hang out on Instagram, which my handle is sasspetherick. So once you once you know how to spell my name, we can never be disconnected. <laughs> so good. We'll pop all of that in the show notes along with the link to the Self-Belief Coaching Academy so you can go and check it out because uh, I believe it will be it will be coming along pretty soon. And you also have a masterclass coming up, right? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that lots of people asked me about is what does trauma-informed coaching actually mean? And I know there's a lot of discussion around this in the industry, which I think is so healthy. Um, So I've been working in a trauma-informed way for about eight years. That's part of my supervision process. And my supervisor has written a book about trauma and coaching. So I thought it would be really great to run a free masterclass for coaches who are interested in knowing more about this. So I'm going to talk about what it means to be a trauma-informed coach and share with you like this great model for understanding how to show up in a coaching session where your your client probably is experiencing some kind of trauma or the impact of some kind of trauma. It works across the spectrum, right? Because the root causes of self-doubt are often rooted in traumatic experiences or at least hurtful ones and so knowing that spectrum and understanding like what's the best way to respond to this within the boundaries of a coaching uh, agreement is, is a really helpful and enriching way to show up for your clients it creates a level of psychological safety that I think can deepen the coaching work. So if you're working with clients where you just know that there's probably something under the surface that you might as a coach be avoiding or not really knowing how to be with, this is going to really help you to just feel quite resourced in those moments. I just adore you so much and I'm so grateful that we got to have this conversation and Thank you for sharing so much information, like really valuable information and being so open about your experience of pivoting and scaling and creating this abundance quickly and what that's looked like and, you know, how it's transformed things for you. I just think there's so much in there that people are going to take away and I'm so grateful for you and it's just a privilege that I get to support you in this work. So thank you so much. Thanks, Ali. It's all totally mutual adoration from my end. So thank you so much. 